Okay, so welcome to episode two of the Stay Loyal Podcast. This actually was going to be episode three. This was probably supposed to be episode three. But see, what had happened was episode two um, kind of got fucked up and I didn't know that you couldn't uh, record for a certain amount of time on um anchor <laughs> and so episode episode two was recorded like a minute ago and it actually ended up getting messed up because I didn't know that you could that you only had like a half an hour so this is actually episode two of the podcast um y'all it is taking me forever <laughs> honestly it's taking me forever to finally like get here to like this episode um episode one was recorded I swear to god back in like <laughs> October and I just published it. Uh, and so, like, right now, I am still really trying to work through, like, what the podcast is going to be about. Like, how, what the what the co-hosts are going to look like if I have any co-hosts. If it's just going to be me. The first episode was featuring me and my best friend, um, who is supposed to be my co-host. But I don't want to, like, impede on her time. And so, I'm, like, very conscious of, like, whether I'm impeding on her time or not. But if not... <sighs> Y'all just want to listen to me talk, you know what I'm saying? And I'm going to carry the show by my motherfucking self. And y'all going to be okay with that, because I am too. <laughs> and so, um, really, this podcast has been long time, like, has been long overdue. And I feel like, too, like, I've been saying that I wanted to podcast, but then a, a part of me feels like everybody is fucking doing it. And I have a problem with, like, hopping on trends that everybody is doing. I don't know why I feel like that. And I know there's, like, some you know, like, there's some, there's some explanation behind that, because I feel like everybody, at some point, hops on some type of trend, duh, why, you know, that's just kind of what that is, but since we are here, I just want to welcome you all to this, to episode two of Stay Loyal, um, and this episode is probably going to be just about, you know, my, it is now, finally, we hit the new year, um, it's 2022. <laughs> we are um, about three days into 2022. So this episode is probably going to be about my review of my year of 2021. Um, I'm going to give y'all a little New Year's Eve update. We're going to talk about some NFL shit, some Antonio Brown, um, where my Eagles are and how they, I don't want to call them bums, but <laughs> we're going to talk about a little bit of colorism um, inspired by two of my favorite podcast or two of my favorite uh YouTube personality well one of my favorite YouTube personalities she was actually married and I just found or they were together and I just found out they were divorced and we're gonna talk a little bit about that I don't really want to give out their names because I feel like you know um that might be giving a little bit too much and I want to do all that um and then we're gonna talk about my feelings about So there's been this Twitter thing that's been going on with like, um, what there was a Twitter post that I seen with this girl who was talking about how she, you know, told her boyfriend um, about it's giving, and so she told her boyfriend about how to use it's giving, and so we're going to talk about my feelings, you know, about the hetero cis community using lingo from the gay community and where that like where that's at. And so I wish I had, like, this elaborate, like, introduction into the show, but I do not. So, we're going to hop right into it. Um, y'all, my co-host ain't here. She's sick. Like I said, I was trying to figure out what she was going to do, but she's not here right now, so we're just going to hop right into the show. 
Um, it's just going to be me on this episode. And then hopefully on future episodes, I will either be with her or it'll be a couple episodes by myself. But we are still trying to figure all of that out. And so 2021 for me was a fucking year. <laughs> it really did start off. Um, it started off really well. It did. It started off really well. Um, actually, I'm lying. It started off fucking horrible. I'm, I'm sorry. It started off really bad. Um, emotionally, it started off. It started off really bad emotionally. However, like everything else around me was okay. Um, and this year, I was like really hoping that we would get past this whole fucking COVID thing. But apparently, we are still here in 2022, and so we are living through that. But emotionally, it was a really, 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 really tumultuous year for me, the beginning of 2021. Um, I kind of kept quiet about that shit for, like, a long time. Only, like, my, I guess, like, my immediate family and, like, my close friends, they really didn't know. But I really held it in. Um, Y'all, I'm a Scorpio, so. (laughs) I don't really like to reveal too much about, like, how I'm really feeling about things. Um, when it comes to um, my emotions and not that I have like this whole idea of like wanting to be like this strong woman and not reveal my emotions like that's not what it is but I really do think a lot of it is that like I was a little ashamed I feel like sometimes we become like and I feel like that's okay right like I feel like there's a little shame behind um things that we perceive as like a loss I guess or things that we perceive as like a failure in a sense and I don't want to say that either like what happened to me this year had anything to do with failing, but I really did go through a lot of relational changes um, in work, in friendship, in intimate partnerships. Like 2021 was really um, an emotional trying time for me, and I lost a lot of like friendships and relationships that I'm used to. And so they either I lost them or I transitioned out of them. I don't want to say that I lost them because I don't want to look at them as like wins or losses. But I definitely, there were definitely some changes in dynamics and they affected me. And I um, held on to that shit. You know what I'm saying? Like my family knew about it. Uh, My close friends really did know about it. I really did talk to them about it. And, you know, they allowed me to hold, they allowed me to work through it emotionally. um, There was a lot of tears shed. Um, It was a lot of feelings of unworthiness. Um, not even unworthiness. I'm not going to say I didn't feel worthy. I knew that I was worthy. There was just a lot of feelings of like, I'm not good enough. Like maybe I'm not this, maybe I should be this. Like there was a lot of feelings of inadequacy. Like I wasn't good enough. Um, and so that was the beginning of 2021 and then everything was okay, but we were still like navigating the pandemic, even like financially, I was still navigating the pandemic when it came down to my work life, right? And so, like, I was able to maintain two forms of employment. However, I needed those two forms of employment to maintain, um, you know, uh, my living habits. And so, 2021 went good. Um, I reconnected with a friend of mine. And um, we had actually had, we had actually fallen off in 2020, I think. Either 2019. I, no, 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 I'm sorry. It was 2019 that we fell off. And then 2020, we kind of reconnected. Um, and we really tried, like we really did try. I feel like I tried, I feel like she tried and it just, it didn't work. You know, we, we realized that like, I realized for myself, I don't know about her, but I realized for myself that I can't continuously be in relationships where I don't feel 
as though this person is seeing where I'm coming from or if this person is gaslighting me and not taking accountability for some of the things that they've done. I have a really big problem with that. I think that's a trigger for me. And so I had just transitioned out of an intimate relationship that was similar to that. And then I transitioned back into this friendship that I transferred out of. And then I felt like she was kind of doing the same things. And so I kind of got triggered from that. Um, And so that relationship had to end, right? And then finally, at the end of 2021, (laughs) I lost one of my jobs. Um, and I lost one of my jobs because I decided that I wanted to take a stand and care for my mother who was, who had just had surgery. And so that relationship ended. That one didn't hurt me so much only because I felt like I needed to take some time to myself. I was working like 80 hours a week almost. And so I really wasn't like too hurt by that because I did feel like I needed the time to myself. But still in all, there's a feeling of like lose, like there's a feeling of loss there. Right. Like there's a feeling of like maybe I lost something. Maybe I wasn't good enough. And then I had to reevaluate. I was evaluating myself because I'm a constant. I'm I'm a person who constantly critiques myself. And I don't think that that's necessarily a good thing, but I do think it's a good thing in certain ways. Right. And so I'm critiquing whether I'm good enough. Like, you know, what is this about these jobs that I continuously like? Why do I continuously get, you know, terminated from jobs? Because I've been terminated a lot of times. Um, And so all of these things have played a part into this theme of me like losing relationships, right? Relationships, or should I, I won't say losing relationships. I will say, I'll change that. This, that, me getting fired from my job played into the theme of that year of me and of of relationships ending for me. And they ended abruptly. All of these relationships ended abruptly. Um, Some of them I triggered for them to end romantically. And then some of them I didn't trigger, um, which was my friendship one of my friendships and my, um, well, I can't say that I didn't trigger any of them because I did. I did trigger them to end, but I don't feel like I was necessarily at fault for them ending. Even in a romantic relationship, I don't necessarily, I felt like I was at fault for that, but I do feel like I played a part in causing the chaos that surrounded it ending, right? And I don't know when I talked about this in episode one, but if I did, y'all forgive me. I'm still working through like <laughs> my this is all just my year in review. So if I talked about it on the last episode, that's because I on my first episode, that's because I was actually going through it at that time or still working through it at that time. Now I'm just talking about my year in review and how that played into my year in my 2021 in review. Um and so yeah, and so basically the relationship ending at that job, it felt much like um it was this reoccurring theme of things ending abruptly. And I worked through the fact that I don't have a really good, I don't deal with ending things emotionally. Um, I don't deal with the ending of things emotionally, whether that be like the end of life, whether it is the end of a relationship, whether it is the end of a working relationship, any form of ending, I don't really do well with it. And so, um, you know, I'm working through that. But... On the flip side of that, (laughs) on the flip side of this theme of like ending um, of things and of relationships ending, there were also some really good relationships that were um, either strengthened or established. And so a part of that was I took my ass to therapy. (laughs) I took my punk ass to therapy because I felt like, you know, I had been looking for a therapist since maybe 2019 anyway. But then when everything happened with the with the guy that I was dealing with 
it really forced me to be like, okay, girl, buckle down and find therapy. That, me dealing with him on top of, like, the pandemic, on top of, like, you know, uh, me feeling like, what is my purpose? Like, all of these things just kind of forced me to, like, go ahead, girl, just go to therapy. And so, um, also, too, um, I talked about it on the first episode, you know, I'm a woman, of tra- I am a trans woman, and so I deal with, um, I deal with, you know, oppression, right? As a black trans woman, I deal with um, racism, I deal with transphobia, um, I am a heavyset woman, so I deal with fat phobia, I'm a fat girl, so I deal with that, I'm dark skin, I deal with colorism, and so all of these things kind of played into um, me going to therapy, and I just kind of wanted to give it a try, right? And so I entered into therapy, um, and I actually entered into therapy through um, the community center that I go to, or it's like the health clinic, I'm sorry, the health clinic that I go to um, in Philadelphia, and so they gave me some referrals, and I kind of, you know, called some people and just try to get, like, you know, set up for therapy. And my first therapist... <laughs> was this white trans girl, this white trans woman, should I say. Um, she was a young girl, but it it really, once again, there's that intersection there, intersection there, right? And so they figure like, oh, you know, she's trans. Well, let's connect her with some, you know, some uh, therapists who are trans. And they automatically, they automatically connect me with this white woman and this white trans woman. And automatically, I'm like... We're in we're in therapy session. The therapy therapy was going okay. It wasn't going, um, it wasn't bad at all. She wasn't a bad therapist, but I realized that like one, she was an intern. That was actually the first red flag for me was that she was an intern, and not to say that interns can't be good, but I just didn't feel like she. There was a part of me that felt like she didn't take the relationship between her and I serious because she was just there to get her hours and move on to her career, and that's respected, right, like, I understand that, I'm okay with that, um, and then I feel like you get what you pay for, it was $35 a session, and she was just sitting there telling me how human I was, and I'm like, bitch, I know I'm human, and so, (laughs) like, I know that I'm human, thank you for telling me, but baby girl, you're not getting me down to the nitty-gritty, I need some exercises, I need some, some work, some homework to do, I need you to send me home with some tools, something, and it just wasn't clicking, right, and so, like, there's that intersectional, like, strong or there's that intersectional uh complication that plays into building relationships because they automatically think because I'm trans that they can connect me to this white woman who's also trans and think that we're going to have the same experiences and I'm like well what the fuck does this say to me as a black person what does this say to like how can she speak to me in any of these ways right and she's still an intern and so that didn't work either and so you know I went to a couple sessions where I was really excited and um it was cool and all but I just, it just wasn't working. So that relationship ended too. Um, and then I entered into a new relationship with a new therapist. And um, that one was a lot better. She was my second therapist, although the intersections were still, like some of the connection or intersections were still missing because as we know that there are not enough black trans therapists, black trans feminine, trans women therapists available. And so I had to settle for a black cis woman, right? And I was okay with that. I was all right with that. Um, they gave me a little bit of background. I liked the way that the office that she worked out or the company that she worked for, I liked how organized they were. And so we sat in therapy and we really worked through a lot of things. Um, she she really did work through through a lot of like my relationship issues. She touched on some of my family issues. 
Um, she touched on a lot of things. And so, like, I felt like that was a, a strong relationship that was built. And we really, 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 really had a good relationship. Um, I appreciated her for everything that she did. Um, and also, on the, on, the, on the strengthening relationship side or building relationships, building new relationships, um, I got closer to my brother, my sister-in-law, and my niece and nephew. And <clears throat> the relationship between my brother and I has always been good. But my brother is a nurse practitioner, and so he has spent a lot of his time um, really trying to, like, establish himself career-wise and establish himself as a father and establish himself as a husband. And so he was unable to give to me, or he was able to, he was unable to, I won't say give, he was unable to connect with me how I thought that we should or would coming from the same home, being raised in the same home. But I feel like everything happens for a reason. And so as I was transitioning out of this relationship intimately or this intimate relationship that was so horrible for me, um, I fell right into the arms of like my brother and my sister-in-law and my niece and nephew who showed me the love that I need. You know, my niece and nephew, they know I would, they, they're, they're smart kids, right? And they're, you know, we're an, we're an inclusive family. And so the kids are not, we don't come from this, you, you are to be seen and not heard type of family. Like, we're not those type of people. So, like, my niece and nephew know exactly what was going on. Like, you know what I'm saying? They knew what was going on. And, like, the, it, like they knew everything that was happening in my life, right? Um, they knew they knew my ass got fired. They knew when I broke it off with this or when I caused a bunch of chaos, chaos and me and this nigga stopped talking. They knew about all of it. Like, my niece and nephew knew about all of it. They were not, like, they weren't there for the intricate parts of the conversation, but they knew exactly what would happen. They're 14 and 15 years old. They are not stupid. They are very... Um, very intelligent and um yeah so they were they were there um and you know it was beautiful like right it was beautiful to be able to reconnect with or connect with my brother my brother had just bought a new home um so he was transitioning his own self he was transitioning him and his wife were transitioning from one residence to another and this was all in the middle of a fucking pandemic mind you they moved at the end of 2020 going into 2021 so they really moved when the pandemic was still in the thick of things it was the summer of 2020 so we were still really in the thick of like the pandemic um and so then they moved into their house so they were going through all these things too and so i think everything just happened perfectly perfect timing it just kind of fell into place right and so as they finally settled into their home 2021 we were still in the pandemic but by the time they really settled in restrictions were getting a little tiny bit looser not real loose but they were loose enough for us to for me to come over there they were figuring this virus out enough for us to be around each other again right and so <laughs> um everything happened like i said everything just kind of fell into place and so i'm over there and i'm just like really sitting here and i i think i really connected really well with my brother and my sister-in-law and my niece and nephew and I really 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 established a good relationship with them and so I feel like or or strengthened that relationship that was already established because we've always had a, a strong bond and so that relationship did strengthen and that did kind of like you know they it was able to the relationship was able to grow and I think this was the first time that I really sat down with like my brother and like had real like heart-to-heart conversations outside of his wife being there we really sat down and we had like really 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 deep heart-to-heart -heart conversations and I feel like as a trans woman I was able to or as a woman in general I was able to sit down with my brother and really like 
he was able to hear me and I was able to hear him and we able we were able to just really talk through things. Um, he was able to give me his perspective on things and that was outside of us already having that bond, it just kind of like really strengthened like everything that like we already had. And so 2021 for me wasn't necessarily a horrible year. <laughs> But it was definitely a year of things that I had to kind of like work through, right? Like there was, I think all of us did. I'm also navigating this pandemic. I'm navigating like loss of relationships. I'm also navigating the the reestablishment or strengthening of a relationship of relationships. And so, or the establishment, reestablishment or reestablishing, I'm sorry, and strengthening of relationships. And so I'm navigating, I'm navigating all of these things. And so 2021 wasn't necessarily um, a bad year. But what I do realize too, um, what I've realized in that in that in that in that relationship that I um, built with my therapist was that boundaries were necessary, <laughs> and that has been another constant theme in my life. Like boundaries are definitely definitely necessary, right? And so, because those boundaries. I didn't, I didn't even realize it, right? Like I said, this is why I needed to kind of like get a therapist who was really going to dig in there and like really like kind of work through these things with me. And so when I'm in therapy um, and and, and, I, and I'm establishing this relationship with my therapist, she's like listening to me and she's like, yeah, so like this is about boundaries and values. It just seems like you are having a problem with like setting strong boundaries and people either knowingly or unknowingly see that. And they operate in a way that they are going to violate or just kind of ignore your boundaries in general, right? And so that was a constant thing. And I don't necessarily, I didn't necessarily know that I needed those boundaries to be put up, but I did. And so I did start implementing some boundaries. And to speak more into that, those boundaries that I kind of set up were kind of what ended the relationship between me and my friend. Because as I'm in therapy, I'm as she's telling me this, I'm really like, okay, this is a boundary that I can't seem to, like, I set this boundary up. This is a boundary, right? Like, we're having a conversation. I feel like you're gaslighting me. I feel like you just started some shit. And now you're acting like you don't know what you just did. I don't like that kind of shit. And so, in me establishing those boundaries, I decided that that was going to be probably it for us talking. Like, that, I'm like, this is this is it for me. We had had some other issues in my friendship, but that was kind of it. And so, like, therapy played into me setting that boundary with that friendship and being like, no, like, I can't do this. Um, and so that was cool or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I really did get a chance to um, set that boundary. And, you know, I don't want to say that it hurt me because I don't think that it hurt me. But it definitely was something that um, it was something that was new for me, right? Because essentially I knew that like I would have to end that relationship if this person wasn't able to see what they were doing right and so I had to you know transition out of that relationship and it was okay like you know it hurt my feelings and it still hurts sometimes and you know I wish her well and all that but it is what it is um romantically the person that I was dealing with how, how which is how the boundaries and values really came up was that he and I just were firing on two different cylinders. Um, I allowed myself to enter into this relationship with this man. And it just was the most unhealthy shit that I could ever think of. <laughs> I think that's out of all the relationships that I've ever been in. 
that was probably the most unhealthy. Like it was there. I only had about four like long lasting relationships. This one here was probably the most unhealthy, chaotic fucking relationship that I've ever entered into. Like knowingly, right? And so, child, uh, he was still on the DL, and I was trying to pull him to the side of like not living on the DL. And he was not trying to hear it. <laughs> Heck, he wasn't trying to hear it, but he still wanted to exploit me sexually for what he could, right? And so originally the relationship wasn't supposed to be the way it was. We were supposed to, we met on some, you know, on some, you know, one and done type shit, right? Real shit. We met on some one and done type shit. You know what I mean? Like we were supposed to do our little one suit and then get the fuck on about our business. That was how it was supposed to go. He ended up coming back around somehow. He found me, and then we ended up finding each other. And this turned into this happened in two thousand and I want to say this happened in two thousand and seventeen was when we first met. This happened in two thousand and seventeen, and this shit went all the way up until two thousand and twenty one. And so it was long. It was just extended. It was it was way way way. The the relationship was past its it was past its due date. Um. I ended up finding out that he had a girlfriend. And so, um, by the time that I found out, because, you know, niggas, he wasn't going to tell me. I had to fucking ask him because he wasn't going to say shit. And so, I ended up asking him. He was, you know, I guess he was, you know, nice enough to tell me the truth. And so, we had talked about ending it then. We had talked about ending the relationship then, right? And, um, we did the, the final night that we were together. Like, you know, we kind of like this, just decided like, well, like, you know, we can't do this. You know, you have said you, you got a girlfriend. I don't want to be, you know, a part of that. And he just was like, you know, I don't want to hurt her or whatever the case would be. Cool. Say no more. Let's end it. Right. But y'all know who our niggas is. And so y'all niggas, y'all know when niggas will bend the block in a minute. And so when I hear all this shit about, you know, men move on and all this stuff. No, they don't. <laughs> no, they don't. Niggas don't move on. And so, you know, he bent the block. <laughs> I don't know whether y'all <laughs> heard the pause or not. But anyway, so back to what I was saying. That nigga bent the block, whatever the case may be. And he came back around and he gave it like, this was all in 2017. So he gave it like a month and then he finally came back around. And he was like, yo, like, you know, it's not easy for me to be like away from you. Like, it's hard for me to be away from you and all this other shit. And you know, my gullible, goofy ass was like, oh, well, it's not easy for me to be away from you either. And all this other shit. And so we didn't reconnect right then and there because I kind of was like still holding on to things. I think he kind of hit me up again. And I kind of was like, okay, cool. So like we, you know, we, we jump back in the sack, you know what I mean? Whatever case may be. So we back on our, on our bullshit, whatever. Um, and so that shit turned into us doing this shit for four years <laughs> almost close to four years right um and that shit fuck fucking hurt when it ended it, it it hurt when it ended and i'll get into a whole i'll probably talk about another episode of how it all ended and all that other shit but i don't feel like doing that shit right now and so but that was the ending of that relationship and that shit was a lot um and so um you know, my 2021, like I said, wasn't, while it wasn't a, it wasn't a good year or it wasn't a bad year. It was kind of, I think for me, it was kind of, it wasn't what I wanted, but it wasn't horrible. I know that my 2022 needs to be much better now that I have, um, 
now that I am not working at one job, I'm still working. I still I always had two forms of employment, so I'm still working another job, which I don't care for either. And I probably talk about that another episode too. But <laughs> I am working for. I'm looking to enter into a role where I am working more with the LGBTQ community because that is a part of my. Um, I will say that that's a part of like my. That is a part of the career path that I want to take up, right? I just, I talked about earlier how there weren't enough um, Black trans therapists who um, are available. I want to change that by being a Black trans therapist who's available, right? (laughs) I know I'm just one person, but hopefully, like, you know, there'll be, like, you know, an influx of us. So that way there are more. Um, But I do know that I am trying to really connect with my community one as a black woman as a black trans woman and as a you know black person in general and so I do hope that I can make that transition from you know working the jobs that I'm working now and working in the mental health uh, or I'm sorry the mental and behavioral health and developmental health field and then work more with the community um the trans and gay and lesbian black community that's what I hope to do or just the community in general just to kind of get my feet wet so that's the direction that I want to go in for 2022. I do want a career change. Um, although 2000, like I said, 2021 was pretty much like, it wasn't extremely bad, but it was like emotionally bad. I do want 2022 to be significantly, significantly better. Um, and so, yeah, like, you know, that was my 2021 in review. You know, I ended some, ended some intimate relationships and ended some friendships and I ended some working relationships and, um, I entered into a family relationship that was, or, or not entered, but I strengthened the relationship with my family, got closer to them, went to therapy. So 2021 was a mixture. <laughs> it was a mixture of things. It was some ups and downs emotionally, but I'm here, right? And so I can't be too mad at that shit, right? I can't be too mad at... um and how 2021 is going, or how 2021 went. But speaking of 2021 in my year review, we can get into some shit that I, some fun shit, <laughs> some, some, you know, some leisure activities that I, that I enjoy, and that is motherfucking football. And so I, my 2021 Eagles, I am a Philadelphia Eagles fan, as y'all heard on the first podcast, I am a Jersey girl, specifically from Camden. So I'm right across the water from them birds and whatever. So like, you know, kind of everybody in the surrounding area, since Jersey doesn't necessarily have a football team, we are either how Jersey is split up. We are either Philadelphia Eagles fans. <laughs> we either enter into Philadelphia Eagle Nation, which is like South Jersey, the Philadelphia, uh, the Philadelphia metropolitan area, or... You are going to be a Giants fan once you start go up to North, start going up to North Jersey, right? That's how the state is split up, and then you got everybody else's whoever the fuck they are. Um, <laughs> and so um, this year, my Eagles, man, they have really been up and fucking down, right? Like like me. <laughs> They have been, they have been, they have been a fucking roller coaster ride of like games, and I am really rooting for Jalen Hurts, and I really will keep rooting for him because I really do like the fact that the, that we do have a black quarterback. He reminds me a lot of like Michael Vick mixed with like I don't I want to say Russell Wilson, 
And I kind of see, like, you know, Kyler Murray is is who I would like for him to be like. Because Kyler Murray is fucking awesome. Kyler Murray is a is an excellent quarterback. His arm is fucking strong as hell. And I really do feel like that's who Jalen Hurt can be. But I feel like Jalen Hurt just doesn't have, like, the accuracy that I want, want him to have. And that kind of worries me a little bit. Like, that kind of worries me a little bit. And I don't necessarily... But at the same time, I don't necessarily want him to not be the quarterback, right? Like, I don't want him to go anywhere because I feel like he is still developing. He's still new. I think Jalen Hurts is, this is his second year in NFL. This is his first year as a starter. And so I am not necessarily, like, throw the towel in with him. I don't think he's a horrible quarterback. I'm not like, oh, no, get rid of him, the senator. I realize that the Eagles are still in a building process. And so they really are, like, trying to build their team. But they have, the Eagles have, (laughs) they're not really good at, like, they don't appear to be really good at, like, drafting people and, like, kind of building a team around people. And it just really shows sometimes when they pick up, when some of these draft picks come in and then you realize that they lost out on, like, one of these bomb-ass picks who go to another team um, and they end up having, like, these this, this fucking breathtakingly good career. Um, and, you know... <laughs> I can't think of his name right now, but every time I think about, uh, what is his name? Fuck, y'all. I'm, it's driving me crazy. He's a receiver for um, the Seattle Seahawks, and I know y'all can't hear me talk to myself right now. But if y'all hear this episode, <laughs> y'all will be able to tell me. I'm going to work through it right now. But we had a, the Eagles had a chance to draft him. I'll never forget that. And they ended up going with, like, J.J. Ortega Whiteside, and that shit was a bust. And so we had a chance to draft this fucking receiver who is over in Seattle fucking fucking shit up, right? Like, this nigga's got, like, all these fucking receiving yards. He's he's doing really well, and we had a chance to get him. And for some reason, somehow, the Eagles decided that they wanted to go with Arthur Whiteside, right? And that shit was just like, what the fuck was y'all thinking? And I think a part of it had to do with the fact that, like, um... This receiver, I cannot think of his name. It is killing me for one minute, y'all. I'm going to have to Google this shit because the shit is disturbing me. Um, And I'm going to have to find out what the fuck his name is. Um, Because if I do not, it is going to pain me to to continuously call this man the receiver. (laughs) What I was saying, what his name is. Ah, DK Metcalf. There we go. DK Metcalf. So, they had a chance to draft DK Metcalf. I think it was in the 2020 draft. And they didn't draft him. From what I understand, I think DK had, like, some kind of, like, he had either some injury issues or he had, like, some personal issues that they kind of weren't, like, really, like, you know, fucking with. And so, they went the other way. But let me tell you something. (laughs) These niggas went out. If y'all remember the year that we got to the Super Bowl, we didn't win that year, but when McNabb was there, we went to the Super Bowl and they went out and they got motherfucking, uh, why am I, why are these names leaving me, y'all? But, oh, Terrell Owens. They went out and got Terrell Owens, right? And we all know Terrell Owens was a problem child, right? But we can't lie and we can't, but make no mistake about it, Terrell Owens was a fucking bomb-ass receiver, right? Like, he was a bomb-ass receiver and, and, had it, I'm not going to say had it not been for him, but he was really one of the reasons why we actually made it to the Super Bowl that year, right? Like, he was one of the years that we made it to that Super Bowl. So, I say all this to say that the Eagles are not, they're not strangers to having problem children or problem players in a locker room, right? <laughs> so, for me, I'm like, yo, like, 
if we want to have a problem child in the locker room, at least, at least let this nigga be good, right? Like, if he going to be a problem child, at least let this motherfucker be good at what he do. And so I feel like if we was going to go for DK Metcalf, yeah, he might have been a problem child, quote, air quote. You know, I don't like to use problem child when it comes to black black men or black people. But if you want to use that, if we want to say that, at least we know this motherfucker is good, right? Now, I don't know what's going on with him in Seattle, but I don't know him to have those same issues that he had. He, Mind you, DK Metcalf is a fucking, he's, chi- he's a child, right? He's young. And so, of course, he's going to have, like, some issues you know, I feel like, which, what I, which I feel like a lot of young players do, they have like some personal issues, whatever case may be, and we can get into the whole domestic violence situation to all that shit that the Eagles, I mean, that the football, that the NFL has, that the NFL has as a whole, not that DK Metcalf is a part of that, and that was his issue, because I don't think it was, but the Eagles, are, the, the Eagles in the NFL in general are not strangers to having fucking problem children in they're locker rooms. So listen, if you're going to go and get a problem child, at least let this nigga be good at what he do. I just feel like, you know, I just feel like, yeah, we had our thing on white side. But on the flip side of that shit, if motherfucking, you know, DK Metcalf is looking better, nigga, let's take that chance with him, right? Like, let's take that. That's how I feel. Like, that's just how I feel, right? Like, that's my perspective of it. Like, let's take that chance. He's a rookie. He going to get like a little something light. You ain't going to spend too, too much money, although he was at the top pick. So you going to spend more than you would. But if you don't like them, you know what I mean, kind of work that out. They've done it before, right? So we end up with our second white side, and that is what it is, right? And it's cool. And so the Eagles do have like a a murky history with being able to draft good players. They don't really do too well with like drafting. And I don't know what the fuck they be doing and when it comes down to the trade market because I feel like sometimes the trades that I feel like are available, I'm like, how are y'all working this out? We can talk about the cap space and all that other shit, but... Them niggas got the money, and I think they should go for what they want to go for. But I feel like the Eagles do patchwork. They do just enough to keep their fans quiet and coming back, right? (laughs) And so, um, you know, we are, what, 2016 was the last time they won a Super Bowl. So we were four years, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Yeah, 21. So we about four four years, four or five years out of winning the Super Bowl. Um, But that year that we won, we had a bomb-ass team, right? (laughs) And so I feel like, you know, it was a solid team. And I feel like in order for you to win two Bulls, you need a solid-ass team. And I sometimes don't feel like the Eagles are necessarily interested in drafting a real solid team and really going out and aggressively getting what they want and even taking chances on people that they deem as problems in the locker room, right? Um, And so they end up with these teams that are kind of like patchwork you know what I mean? Like, they good, but not good enough. But they're good enough just to keep the fans in the seats and to keep us, like, out of like a, a out of having a losing record besides last year. Because last year, we were fucking horrible. We had a horrible, horrible season in 2020. Um, it was a really bad season. But, you know, it was a lot of shit going on. <laughs> it was a lot of shit going on. So, I can kind of be, like, grateful that, like, we are now standing at 9-7. and seven. And although I wish it was better, we are what we are. But last year was a fucking horrible season, right? And so going back into like Jalen Hurts and this whole like locker room shit, like Jalen Hurts is a great quarterback. But what I realized is that like he needs to work on his accuracy because I feel like he does have it. And then I also feel like they need to bring in some receivers who are going to add to the team, right? Like y'all need to bring in some receivers that's really going to add to the team. I will, My hope is that this year – um. They might slip into the playoffs. I don't think they're going to get too far. Um, But if they do, my hope is that, you know, uh, 
my hope is that during the offseason, they really do work on some trades. Um, I want them to keep Jalen Hurts. I want Jalen Hurts to fucking connect with some good-ass trainers, maybe like a Russell Wilson-style type trainer or, or or whoever Russell Wilson is connecting with. I would like for him to kind of connect with Russell Wilson and really kind of do like this whole like quarterback development thing that the NFL talks so hard about. I would love to see that for him. Um, and just see how good that is, right? Like, to see how far that goes. But <laughs> um, speaking of Russell Wilson, since we're here on this topic, Russell Wilson is at the end of his contract in Seattle. And I talked about how I don't want to see Jalen Hurts going anywhere. If we get Russell Wilson, that's the only way I'd like sit down there on the bench. <laughs> Just, these whole things loyal. Look, I'm not loyal. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be honest with it. I am really loyal when it comes down to like my team having a win. So if I feel like we can get a winning ass quarterback in there or a better quarterback. Yeah, Jamie, I fuck with you and all, but let's sit you down for a little bit and let's let Russell, like, take on the show. That's hypothetically speaking. All of this shit is, you know, <laughs> all of this shit is just theory. Um, and But the real answer is that Russell Wilson ain't going nowhere. Like, right? Like, Russell Wilson has established this long-ass career inside of Seattle. And the likelihood of him leaving, ah, that would kind of be, to me, like, that would kind of be to me like the Patriots letting go of Tom Brady, right? And we know eventually they did, but it took them a very long time to let go of Tom Brady. And I and, and look, they let go of Tom Brady, <laughs> and this motherfucker's in in Tampa heading to another Super Bowl, Super Bowl number two. I think he's a cheater. Another story, but we'll go there uh, at another time. But <laughs> back to what I you know what I mean to, to to stay on task. I just really don't see Russell Wilson really going anywhere. I think Seattle has locked in too much time for him. I think that he's established an entire fan base out there. He's established some organizations. I think Seattle is his home. It doesn't look like, it, to me, it wouldn't be the smart option to let him go. I'm not sure who um, the Seahawks have in their back pocket when it comes down to them, like, uh, when it comes down to them having a quarterback that, they, that they're developing. But I don't see nobody being better than a Russell Wilson on their roster, right? And so we talking about reestablishing a whole quarterback. So unless they can trade and get something good for him, I don't see them really like letting go of Russell Wilson. And I really wanted to think about like him coming to the, the Eagles, but that's all hopeful thinking, y'all. Like all of this shit is the wishful thinking, um, and these are things that I want to happen, but more than likely that shit ain't happening. I think Russ gonna stay where he at. Um, I think Jalen is probably going to stay the quarterback of the Eagles. Um, and I'm okay with that, right? Like, I'm okay with that. Um, I really do want to see Jalen Hurts establish himself, though, right? He's, oh, gosh. I really want to see him establish himself. And, and, I, and I might be a little biased because he's so fucking, he's, he's cute as a button. Like, Jalen Hurts is so beautiful. Like, he's so gorgeous. And I just like the way his style of play. I like the way he's mobile in the pocket. He's quick. And then, you know. You know, you know, I'm I'm a lady, so you know I do like to look at him and whatever, because he is a cutie. So I can say that because I do like to look at Jay Lawrence. He's very beautiful. Um <laughs> But outside of that, outside of that, I also think he's a good player, right? And so like I really do wish that he does stay with the Eagles. Um sticking on the theme of football. <laughs> this is the last week. I think this is week 17 in football. And 
as we're going into week 18, right? So we are coming off of week 17. And if anybody watched football around the league, we see this complete meltdown of Antonio Brown, right? Like, what the fuck is going on with Antonio Brown? Like, what? <laughs> like, I think that's the questions that everybody has. Like, what is going on with Antonio, right? Like, what is happening with him? Like, why is he doing these things, right? So, if y'all don't know, if anybody hasn't watched it, Antonio Brown has always been a problem child. And I'm, 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 at this point, I'm guessing that I'm talking to football heads. And if I'm not talking to football heads, everybody has seen in the highlights and in the news that Antonio Brown literally took his entire fucking uniform off, stripped down, threw his helmet, his pads, his motherfucking shoulder pads, his jersey, all that shit, threw that shit in the locker, took his locker, took his, took his gloves off, and throwing up peace signs and shit, walks out the stadium, jolts across the motherfucking end zone, the back of the end zone, down to the locker room, holding up the peace signs like, nigga, I'm out of here. Antonio Brown signing out, right? <laughs> nigga dropped the microphone in the middle of the stadium, right? But Antonio Brown has had this problem for a very long time, right? Like, he's had this problem. He has been known as the problem, like I said about those problem children. Antonio Brown has really been a problem for a lot of locker rooms, right? He's had a lot of, like, trouble with within his um, personal life. But he's also had troubles with these trouble with these teams, right? And so, when I look at Antonio Brown, while most people think that he's just this problem... I see something different. I really do see something different. And and I'm and I'm fearful that like I see this a lot from these players from a lot of these players in general. But so everybody has is watching Antonio Brown and they're talking about like you know like how could he and you know what's going on whatever the case may be. He literally walks out the fucking game in the middle of the game and was like fuck this job. <laughs> right? Fuck this job. The details haven't really come out as to what really happened or what really transpired or why he kind of, like, acted the way he did, right? But I feel like Antonio Brown is doing what we all kind of want to do, right? He rich, though, so he can kind of, like, I pack my shit and I'm out, right? Get my suitcase, get my shit. It's giving very much I motherfucking quit. I'm out of this motherfucker. Don't call me, right? <laughs> but he's sitting on millions of dollars, so he could do that, right? Um, but at the same time... It's just, it was just odd, right? Because I think, I don't think we really see that like that. We don't see that from an athlete of that stature, of that stature doing things like that. Like, we don't see that. And so I think that, like, when he did it, it was surprising. And on top of that, nigga, you wasn't even at your home stadium. So you holding up the peace signs, like, nigga, you interrupting the fans. Like, what you doing? Like, you interrupting the fans and you not even at your fucking home stadium. The Buccaneers were literally at the Jets. Like, nigga, y'all was in Jersey. What is you doing? So that's that. Now the backlash comes and everybody's talking about it and everybody's just like, I don't understand. Like, you know, I watched this interview with, uh, I want to say it was, oh, I don't think it was a Dan Marino. I think it was Dan Marino. Um, and they were talking about, no, it wasn't Dan Marino. Hold on. I'm so mad, y'all. Anyway, I can't think of what his name is, but um, I watched the interview, um, and everybody's talking about everybody is talking about uh, his behavior, right? And one one this one guy says like, you know, I can't think, and I'm so mad that I can't think of his name because he's like a legendary quarterback who I should know. 
But I watched the interview and he's talking about how like he doesn't understand what's going on. Like this is crazy because you know you wait your entire life to play in the NFL and you're finally here and this is how you act, right? And so that was a very surface level like explanation of like what I feel is going on. The only person who I can actually say that gave a better comment like comment about or gave better commentary on what was happening with Antonio Brown is Michael Strahan. Michael Strahan kind of broke down like that he sees more, right? And I think he's seeing what I see. He sees that Antonio Brown probably needs help, right? And I see the same thing. Like mentally something is going on there. There is something that is happening there that I feel like he needs help with. The thing that I fear, though, is that what he needs help with, they're probably not going to find out until he dies, right? And so we know that when CTE happens, the only way that they can really diagnose these players with CTE is once they get their brains and really do autopsies of their brains. And that's the fucking sad part about it. And so when I hear these players talk about, like, how could he? He waited his whole life to do this and all this other stuff. Yeah, but let's talk about the fucking trauma that is contact sports, right? The reality of it is, is that one of the one of the main symptoms of CTE is reasoning. They have a really hard time with reasoning. People who suffer from CTE usually have bad judgment. Um, they usually are aggressive. They have like all these behavior issues, right? That happens, that plays out, but no one really knows what's happening with them until they're dead, right? And so I don't know whether y'all remember. Uh, maybe like a few years ago, there was this football player who literally fucking ran into a glass door. Like, he ran through the glass door, right? Broke that shit. He was at a store. It was all on video, right? I don't remember what happened to him, but it came out that he... I'm almost certain that he died. I'm almost certain that he did pass away because they found out that he did have CTE. But what we're seeing now is that a lot of these players are actually suffering from this shit. And the sad thing about it is that the NFL really ain't going to do nothing about it because they have too much money and too many attorneys and too much power to really be investigated thoroughly about how this shit is impacting these players' lives. Now, granted, knock on wood, let's hope that nothing happens to Antonio Brown, but if something does happen to him and he does happen to meet his demise and they do happen to, you know, you know, get an autopsy of his brain, this nigga ain't got CTE, we can just say this motherfucker's a fool, right? <laughs> like, we can just be like, man, this nigga is a fool. Like, he really is out here fucking cutting up and ain't shit really wrong with him. But I just don't see that, yo. Like, Antonio Brown be bugging, my nigga. Like, he be bugging. And this ain't something that he just... This ain't this ain't new. Like, this is something that Antonio Brown has been doing for a minute, right? And so, if we look at, like, the history of these NFL players who have problems, man, I'm like, yo, like, I feel like a lot of these niggas is suffering from this shit more than we really know about, right? And we're going to talk about the fact that Antonio Brown had, like, a possible sexual assault case going on and all this other shit. But this nigga was, like, fucking... He had... At one point, he was fucking, you know... Uh, tossing motherfucking chairs off of balconies at his hotel room, like just bugging, right? And I'm not excusing anything for, I'm not just excusing bad behavior, but what I do know about these football players is that they are traumatically, like they are literally running into each other at like full speed, right? That shit ain't normal. Now, you know, we can talk about divesting from it. I ain't gonna lie. Football is my guilty pleasure. You know, I'm a tall girl, so I play ball. I play basketball. I'm a ball player, but I do watch football. I play basketball. I watch football, right? 
And so I can say that, like, that's kind of like my guilty pleasure is that, like, I kind of really do fuck with football. But I know, like, when I'm looking at it sometimes, I'm like, shit, like, this shit is so aggressive. Like, it's so hard, right? It's so hardcore. Like, you know, I shared this, um, this post not too long ago. Matter of fact, it was just today on Twitter. And it was against Michigan State. And, um, I should have wrote all this shit down, y'all. Um, but it was Michigan State versus, um... Who was it? Or, no, I'm sorry. Hold on, y'all. I'm sorry. State versus... Oh. North Carolina? What's in North Carolina? Hold on. Sorry, y'all. I'm trying to figure this shit out. Okay, give me a minute. So it was... um. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's what it was, right? It was the Outback Bowl, and it was Michigan State versus South Carolina, right? And um, as I'm watching the game, I had watched a little clip of it on... Uh, I had watched a little clip of it. Sorry, y'all. I had watched a little clip of it on, um, on Twitter. And so the referees had fucked up this call, whatever the case may be. But fast forwarding, they line up. The call's fucked up. Michigan State got the ball, even though they shouldn't have boomed. They hand the ball off when was a running play. One of their linebackers ran smack dab into this nigga, yo. Like, knocked his helmet off and everything. Fuck, leveled this nigga, yo. Like, I mean, almost sent this nigga into the stadiums. <laughs> almost sent this motherfucker into the stands. That's how hard he hit him, right? And as I'm watching it, I'm just like, ah, like, this is football. But I'm uncomfortable as fuck, right? Because the reality of it is, as I'm watching all of this shit that goes on with Antonio Brown, I know that these are things right here. That might cause for him to act the way that he does because that impact from body to body, that shit ain't normal. And I love to see it because I'm a football head. That's what I like. But that shit is sad. It's dangerous, right? It's dangerous. And then we can get into the love that, you know, America or the United States has with violence and violent sports as a whole. And we'll get into that on another episode because... I am very critical of that as well. But I really do think that, like, we see these players in this state of the beginning stages of, like, CTE, and then their lives spiral out of control, and they don't know how to reason, their judgment is messed up, and then finally they die, and now we're sitting here like, oh, it was CTE, right? Um, from all the concussions and all of the things that they had, even outside of the concussions, just the impact in general, right? Just being a problem. And so I do worry about Antonio Brown because of that. And I hope that he gets everything that he needs. And I really do hope that, like, you know, he is okay in a sense, right? And if he is okay, then that nigga's just a fucking fool. Like I said, like, he, if he all right, it's like, nigga, you a fool. And that's just, it is what it is, right? So I... Just wanted to briefly talk about that. You know what I mean? Give y'all a little glimpse into like, you know, some fun shit. Because I feel like I talked about all this heavy shit. And like, I kind of, <laughs> listen to me talking about fun shit. As I'm talking about somebody might be dying from CZ, right? Nah, but like football, you know, football is some fun shit. Like that's some, that's some lighthearted shit. You know what I mean? Some sports shit. And you know, I fuck with it. Um, And then I wanted to roll into outside of football. Since I, want, I wanted to get into a little bit of like, uh. A little bit of dating, I guess, right? Like a little bit of dating and what I see from like the dating world. And so um, recently I was on Instagram and I am 
scrolling through one of my favorite makeup artists. She is one of the girls, one of the makeup girls that I have watched for years, right? And so she's coming, she's been like posting a lot, like, you know, just posting, just doing her little thing on Instagram. And I'm realizing like, yo, like I don't see her boyfriend anymore. <laughs> like I don't see her, her, her daughter's father. I don't see him anymore. And it took me a minute to really realize it because I kind of like, I have I don't really go in depth on her page. I might just scroll past. So it's been some time since I really went on her page. And so finally, I just was like, let me click on her page, right? So I click on her page and I don't see him nowhere. And I'm like, damn, like what's up with him? Now, mind you, she is very light-skinned. Um, she is, I don't want, I, I want to say she might be biracial. I am not sure if she's not. She's very, very light-skinned. Um, very pretty girl, very light-skinned, whatever the case may be. And so I'm just like, damn, I'm like, what is her boyfriend? Because he had an Instagram too. I'm like, what is her, what is her daughter's dad name? Because I don't see him no more. So I go onto his page. I finally remember his name and I go onto his page and I see that he's with this other woman, right? And of course, he sticks to the script of anti-blackness and colorism. I'm going to call it what it is. Because I think at some point we got to call this shit what it is. And I think a lot of times when we talk about dating as dark-skinned women and as people in general, I feel like colorism affects us in so many other ways that we don't necessarily need to keep it just about dating. But I want to talk about dating because dating is a part of our lives, right? And partnership and all this other shit. That shit is a part of our lives, right? And so what I realized is that, like, this man went from this girl who is a light-skinned, you know, biracial or light-skinned black girl to this entire other race of woman who is just not dark skin, everything against black blackness, right? And so as I'm watching this man and this woman, I didn't really go through too much. I just really just looked at, you know, their pictures. I started to get, like, questions to myself, like, when do we call this colorism, right? And I feel like those same type of men, when they get called out on their colorism, they act like they don't know what the fuck we're talking about, right? They act like, oh, no, that could never be me. Like, I'm not a colorist. Like, I'm not, that's not how I date at all. It just happened to be that she just happened to be around this person that I fall in love with. Yeah, she would be that person because you didn't give anybody else a fucking chance. And so everybody starts to talk about, oh, well, that's just a preference and this is just a preference. And I think we need to start talking about the difference between a preference and a motherfucking standard, right? If you ain't got no motherfucking dark-skinned people no fat people, no whatever the case may be, up in your motherfucking dating pool, nigga, that ain't a preference no more. Now we're talking about a standard. And that's okay, right? Because you can date however the fuck you want to date. But let's call a thing a thing. Like, niggas be acting like we can't call a spade a fucking spade. I had this conversation about Chris Brown, who dated one brown skin girl, and this is the brown skin girl that's acceptable to the 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 whole of the black community, of the, of the black men of community, or... Is that, that's acceptable to the whole heterosexual black male community, right? Or black man community, Rihanna. She's the only one that I feel like everybody's like, oh, unless it's maybe like a Kelly Rowland who has very sleek, slim features, whatever the case may be. And so we know why she falls into that bracket too. We start talking about futurism and how it plays into colorism as well, right? But when I bought this situation up with Chris Brown, Niggas try to act like we don't know what Chris Brown... Oh, we don't know whether he's actually a colorist. We don't know that man. Look at... Look, look he... He had a... Uh, he let this this one girl into his... Into his... Uh, into his VIP section. All this other stuff. And she had locks and she was dark-skinned. All right. <laughs> all right. Y'all can go ahead somewhere with that bullshit. 
because we ain't going to see her act like Chris Brown, the one brown skin girl that he did have. He fucking abused her, which Chris Brown is an abuser as a whole. And I don't think that any woman would be, I don't think it's a privilege for any woman to be able to deal with Chris Brown and his abusive ass shit. But what I can realize is that when he's dating and when he's making music and when he's talking about the features of what he deems is pretty, it's very anti-black and very colorist. Let's call it what it is. But I feel like we have a problem with that shit. Like, we don't be wanting to say what the fuck it is. We don't want to call colorism out. We don't want to call it what it is. And because the person, the people that we're using or, or that we're calling colorists are in denial about them actually being colorists. And it's like, yo, like, if you're a colorist, my nigga, cool. Like, it is, I mean, it ain't good, but at least stand on your shit, right? Like, I don't like motherfuckers who like to throw stones to hide their hand. Like, let's just call this shit what it is. But these same niggas that sit here and talk about how it ain't colorism, but you look through their dating pool and you see nobody who looks off script from the anti-blackness that they are implementing in their dating practices. Nobody. And so... When I went on his, when I went on, you know, the guy's page after realizing that he wasn't on his, his daughter's mom page anymore, I see this woman that he's dating and I'm like, this, it makes sense, right? It makes sense. But sometimes I wonder, what are the conversations that these people are having with their parents, right? Like, I want to know, like, what are these conversations as a, as a dark skin, because his mother is dark skin, what is his mom saying? Like, what does she have to say about that? Like, I, I'm really interested to know, like, what his mother is saying. And also, like, I don't know whether his father's in the picture, but, like, what is his father saying? Like, what are y'all saying about y'all, about y'all, your son and his dating practice? What are y'all saying about y'all family and their dating practices? Are y'all okay in it? Now, granted, we know that colorism <laughs> is deep in the community, in the black community. So, I wouldn't be surprised if they somehow, in some way, ate it. In him in, in, in indulging in colorism. I ain't going to put that on them, but that's just what I think, <laughs> right? And so, you know, it just, as I'm, as I'm going through their profiles, whatever case, I didn't go through. I just kind of looked at the pictures and was like, oh, shit, like, they not together. Didn't know. Go through the comments. Apparently, everybody else is surprised, too. Like, oh, shit, like, we ain't even know. And so, for me, <laughs> my mind goes, I guess Raven was too black. Uh, I didn't mean to say her name. <laughs> I'm going to try to edit that out. But, you know, I guess she was too black. And so, you know, he had to go and, you know, find himself somebody who ain't black at all. <laughs> That's that, y'all. Um, and so, you know, it just kind of like, you know, just kind of threw me by shock. Um, and it is what it is. You know what I mean? Right. You can date who you want to date. You ain't really got to date motherfuckers who you don't find attractive, whatever the case may be. And I wouldn't dare want a dark-skinned person or a dark-skinned woman to be to date someone who really isn't interested in interested in them, right? Because I know as a trans woman exactly how it feels to be fetishized and how it feels to be objectified, and this person not really fuck with you like that, right? And so I know how that feels as a trans woman, and I would never want anybody else to experience that. And so I'm not really upset about the fact that these niggas ain't dating dark-skinned women. Because if you ain't going to do nothing but mistreat them, and we know that niggas mistreat motherfuckers in general, but if you're going to fucking, you know, do you and mistreat her and you only, like, you know, dating dark skin women because you feel like you want to check off your boxes or you feel like, you know, dark skin women can go through more shit with you and all this other stuff, nah, I don't need you to really date dark skin women anyway, so maybe it is a good thing that you're not dating them and I don't want nobody to ever be in a relationship where they're fucking with somebody who ain't really fucking with them like that, right? And so I think that people should really date who they get 
who they get the most love from. It just troubles me sometimes when I see that um, dark-skinned women are uh, are um, not as loved on as I think that they as as as, as, as we should be. But that's another story, y'all. Um, and so, speaking of fetishization and objectifying and trans women, that brings me to, you know, and, and colorism and all that other shit. That brings me to my next and final point, right? So, I get on the internet this morning. You know, I wake up, brush my teeth, do my little stretches, whatever the case may be. Boom, log on Twitter. And this girl, she logged on, um, I logged on Twitter and, um, you know... She, I guess, I, I think she must have shared the post. I'm actually going to read the post that she shared. And this is, it, she shared this post and not that like, or she, she, she tweeted this. And this is something that has actually been on my mind for a minute. But I guess I never really, I think I did verbalize it. I verbalized it a while ago on my Facebook page. I'm still new to kind of like operating Twitter the way I the way I want to, but like, you know, so I, I do a lot of my talking on Twitter, on, on Facebook. And so she shared, she tweets and she's like, so I was explaining to my boyfriend last night, um, what it's giving means. And she said, and he woke up just now, just now out of his sleep saying it, he woke up. Oh, and he woke up just now saying this sleep is giving. I said, what is it giving? He said, it's just giving, isn't it? And it's just giving in it. The girls, the girls that get it is the girls that get it. And the girls that don't, don't. Okay, sir. Right. And that was her tweet. Right. And so <laughs> I laughed at it because it was funny. But as I sat on it a little while longer, it made me think about how um, the cis hetero community extracts everything that they want from the queer community with really wanting no association with us. Right. And so I think about, um, there was a few things, a few things that popped into my mind. These same people will, cause if you know anything about queer language, it's giving the shade. Oh yes, Miss Mamas, all that other stuff. Like all of that shit comes from the queer community. We have an entire, there's an entire dictionary of like queer language, black queer language to be specific, not just the LGBT, black queer, black LGBTQ people are the fucking culture. So let's, let's be very clear about that. Right. And so, you know, there's a whole dic there's a whole dictionary out there that talks about like you know queer language, black queer language, and I'll <laughs> I'll talk about it and I'll tag it um, in another episode. But it's a it's something that I also want to get into as well. But as I'm reading this, it makes me like I said, it just made me think about all the language that they extract from us, how much the black queer community, the black gay community influences so much of. Um, so much culture, right, in the black community, but these same people really want nothing to do with us, right? And so I shared a post, I had shared her post, and I said that, I'm like, yo, you know, it's mighty funny how, like, you know, y'all are taking this language from the black queer community, and y'all are implementing, to, implementing it into the cis-hetero community, but at the end of the day, when it comes down for y'all to stand behind us and rally behind us when we need y'all support, y'all motherfuckers are silent, right? Even down to the point where we need them to be it's even down to the point where we're, we're when there's motherfuckers that we deal with, right? And so I ain't gonna lie, you know, a part of me took this, took this, took this post personal, right? I can say I took it personal because the nigga that I was telling y'all, telling y'all about at the beginning of the episode, he was infamous for saying shit like, "Oh, no shade." Oh, okay, my nigga. So you want to use no shade? You want to use the language and all this other stuff, but you don't really want no public association with the community at all. You don't even want your motherfucking family to know 
that you fuck with trans women. You don't want nobody to know nothing about trans women at all. But it's okay for you to use our language and extract from us what you can, all that you can, with, with, with hiding us and still being able to hide us in the same breath, right? It's giving very much cultural appropriation and erasure, right? Because if we think about how white people do the shit that they do and how they, 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 they literally wear black culture as a fucking mask. They wear it as a garment. And when they're ready to take it off, they do. When they want to disassociate from their from 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 black people, they do and they can. Right? Think about the post Malones who come into the who came into the game, who started off all hip hop and he was making all this motherfucking rap music and his motherfucking ass squeezed right into that pop lane so he can get that money. So he started off with this motherfucking, you know, this this being so down with the culture and then he threw that shit to the side when he wanted to and made the money that he really wanted to make, right? And so I think about all of those things. When I hear the head, the cis hetero community use the language from the queer black queer community and want nothing to do with us, I think about Tamar Braxton and how her homophobic shit came up out of her ass on Instagram a couple years ago. But you look at her and she running around hallelujah and yes, honey, and all this other stuff, extracting, taking all this language from the black queer community, but being homophobic at the same fucking time. And so for me, when I said that. Everybody act like, I, like you know, there's a couple of people in there who act like they ain't know what the fuck I was talking about. But, you know, thankfully, people was like, yeah, nah, like, you, we see exactly what you're saying. And so, for me, I guess, the question is, like, when does it become cultural appropriation, right? Or is that too gatekeepy? Like, is, is, it, is it appropriate for me to say, like, yo, like, it's not fair. And I'm not saying, and I'm not saying that the language shouldn't be used at all. But at least if it's going to be used, at least let it be used by somebody who's an accomplice to the community, who really fuck with the community like that. We got these motherfuckers using our lingo who won't even fuck with us. They don't even want to be around us. Prime example, the DL nigga that I was fucking with. Who's, who is, oh, oh, I don't mean it. No shade to you, no shade to you. Nigga, fuck out of here. Get the fuck out of here. You don't even want motherfuckers to know that you like trans women. Go ahead somewhere. Any way that you can, you keeping trans women in the motherfucking closet and you hiding them while all still trying to extract whatever you can from our community, whether it be language, dick, or, or, or ass. All you trying to do is come around the take. And so, you know, it could be a little personal for me, right? She shared that tweet. I could have took that shit a little personal. I could be a little bitter. It is what it is, <laughs> right? But I just feel like, yeah, you know I mean, it's, it's really, I just, a, a part of me just feels like it's, it's fucked up, right? Because we're already seeing people, when trans women and gay people, I'm going to specifically speak for trans women. I just found out a trans woman <laughs> got hung in 2019 up in fucking Oregon. And we ain't no shit about that, right? Last year was the deadliest year for trans women. I think we lost 50-something, 50-something sisters, whatever the case may be. Niggas was silent. Nobody said nothing about that. Nobody says anything about that. But whenever it's cool and appropriate, motherfuckers want to use our language. But they really don't want to have our back, right? And so if we had that same problem as a black community as a whole when it comes to white people and how they cultural appropriate, why can't we then have that same problem when it comes to black when it comes to the cis hetero black community and how they want to appropriate our language and our aesthetic as trans women but have nothing for us? Right? Summer Walker. <laughs> And her, you know, and all the shit that she got done. Whatever the case may be, cool. But that's just how I feel about that, y'all. Um, but I feel like I took a lot of y'all time. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've been talking to y'all for like an hour and 11 minutes. Um, a bitch is thirsty. <laughs> I need a little bit of water. Um, I've been sipping a little bit, you know, um, 
trying to keep my throat moisturized while I'm talking to y'all. But, you know, I don't want to keep y'all no more. Thank y'all for joining me on episode two of the Stay Loyal podcast. And uh, y'all have a good night.